Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. It's 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 definitely winter where I am. So I don't know why winter always surprises Midwesterners. Like, good grief, it's winter. Yeah, again. Now, are you are you in in uh, live? Your voice in my head. I am now. Yeah. Oh yeah, this. He just said he's never had snow before. You never watched. Never right. Had snow. Or, or or when uh, or when uh, you know night comes early, it's dark at four thirty. Like, well, when did it start yes. getting dark at four thirty? Since when? Always. Well, with that cheerful thought, if that doesn't inspire us to pray, I don't know what does. Remember, cold weather builds character. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, to all the evil spirits who prowl about the earth, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, it's time for fun. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. I think it's fun. I really like the Bible. It's a fascinating collection of books. All right, we're in 1 John 4, the 11th chapter and following. Beloved, if God so loved us, we must also love one another. Now remember, yesterday I spent a lot of time talking about this. The word we're looking for is sacrificial love here. It's agape. And I would recommend C.S. Lewis's book, not the Screwtape Letters this time, but The Four Loves. It talks about the four words that can be translated love um, in the English, from from the Greek language, you've got uh, eros and philia, which I talked about yesterday. Eros, the love which desires to possess the beloved, from which we get the word erotic, and then philia, mutual affection. And then you've got storge, which is actually translated into Latin as pietas. Pietas isn't just piety, it's devotion to the family. You know, that's why the Blessed Mother holding the broken body of Christ is called a pieta, because it shows the, the devotion that one should have to one's family. And that's storge in Greek and pietas in Latin. And the final one is agape, and it is translated in Latin as caritas, which really means dearness. Uh, that's what it means. Uh, uh, caritas means dearness. Uh, it isn't... Uh, um, just sort of a, a, a affection. It's it's much more than that. It's 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 You know the word dear. Have you ever noticed in English and the, the word dear can mean expensive 
in an archaic sense, or beloved. Uh, we can rent an, a cottage on the Isle of Wight if it's not too dear. <laughs> that old song by the Beatles, that old song from 60, 70 years ago. That's the sense of dear. So, again, there's a value to this. I, I'm When I have agape love for you, I recognize the intrinsic value, the intrinsic dearness uh, of you, the, the, the value. So... That's the word that we're using here, agape. Uh, and I think it's perfectly legitimate to translate it sacrificial love and even just for the fun of it to translate it sacrifice. We must also sacrifice for one another. No one has ever seen God. Yet if we love one another, God remains in us. And and this means, the word is as many, it means to dwell in Greek. Uh, God dwells in us. And his sacrifice has brought to perfection in us. I mean, the love of God, God's love is brought to perfection. What, I mean, what is lacking in his love anyway? I mean, so often we think this is automatic. I'm a state of grace, or if if I'm an evangelical, I've said I'm saved, uh, you know, um, there's nothing automatic about it. This is a process of transformation, of repentance, which I've been talking about too. So, uh, um, St. Paul says, I make up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? And I think it's very simple, my participation in those sufferings. And this is the same idea, that God's love is brought to perfection in us. It's just, I suppose, it means we get better and better at loving the way that God loves. But but St. Irenaeus, was it St. Irenaeus of, of, of Lyon said... Um, uh, the glory of God is man fully alive, and the life of man is the glory of God. Uh, the, the glory of God is man fully alive? I, that's a really neat line. So, uh, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us, that he has given us of his spirit. Now, I explained, was it yesterday, the day before, partitive genitives, that, that um, in French, if you say, I want cheese, um, that means you want all the cheese in France, which would be prohibitively expensive. What you say in French is a partitive genitive. I want of cheese. In other words, I want some cheese. And he's given us of his spirit. Let's do this again. Translate the word as it, as it appears in Greek. The word in Greek for spirit is pneuma. Pneuma. Uh, we get the word pneumatic drill from it, or, or pneumonia. These have to do with breath and wind. He has given us of his breath. You know, this is how we know it. We remain in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. Okay, I, I've known Pentecostal people who would say, uh, well, that means that if you've had, if you've, you've had the baptism in the Holy Spirit, if, if you have the Holy Spirit... I don't care if you have the Holy Spirit. I'm more interested in if the Holy Spirit has you. But but that idea, well, I yes, I'm, I qualify. I'm in the club. Um, I know that I'm remaining in him because I have his spirit. And to prove it, I will pray in tongues. It doesn't prove nothing. <laughs> it, it, you know, these manifestations of the Holy Spirit prove nothing but that God is generous to sinners like me and you. So they're not about proof. What is the proof that he has given us of his breath? You know, now I, I don't mean to be crude, but, you know, uh, I, I've known people who really believe deeply in the health benefits of garlic. And, uh, 
you know they're coming to visit when they're a block away. Uh, you know, and I always recommend never fall in love. If you love garlic, do not fall in love with someone who does not love garlic. <laughs> oh, I'm going to tell stories out of school. I, I won't say who, but I have a dear friend who's half Irish, half Italian, and his father would say she would put garlic in the coffee if she could. <laughs> Which, that sounds kind of interesting. Well, I digress. But, <laughs> are you kidding? Your voice in my head, you actually do? No, I, I was just kidding. Oh, he's kidding. The voice in my head is, is funning me, but being German. But we do love uh, garlic. My, of- my sister has a has a, a rule, you know, whatever whatever the recipe calls for, double double the garlic. Now, I assume you're saying this uh, alive, dear voice in my head. Yeah, it's, it's all live. Good, good. Otherwise, the people have just wondered why I've gone silent. That's Nick, by the way, who is my producer, who actually is, I call him the voice in my head because I'm wearing headphones. Ah, but I digress. So uh, let us go back to the text here. Uh, there's a certain breath about people. And some people have a, you know, the, the uh, uh, this is going to sound odd, but have you ever smelled a perfume that, reminded you of someone you you love dearly i when i i my mother wore uh, chanel number no. five and when i smell that it 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 brings my mother back to life so this is the breath do you have the breath of god about you or are you a curmudgeonly like me a curmudgeonly difficult critical uh, person do you have the breath of god about you this isn't an experience this is a reality which can be experienced but you see, uh, again, I refer to C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters. The devil wants us to feel spiritual. God wants us to be spiritual. Devil wants us to feel charitable. God wants us to be charitable. So, are you? Are you, do you reflect the? Do you reflect the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Um, Oh, good grief. Uh, the name, a lot of angels must be getting their wings. Moving along here. Um, the, um, um, I, I think you need to read that text. Uh, understanding that the word agape means sacrificial love and spirit means breath. We have seen and we can testify that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world. Whoever acknowledges... Uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him. And again, I, I think this is the same word, I should have looked it up, but yesterday when I talked about acknowledging uh, that Jesus has come in the flesh, the word is homologin, which is Greek for to agree, but it's a Hebraicism meaning to celebrate. Um, so I, I think that that's, that, that, well, let me let me look at, okay, good grief. Uh, yeah. More down, wasted time, but I, I gotta look it up. I'm sorry. I, I so worry that I'm going to tell you things that, well, they're, they're not quite true. I, I don't like doing that. All right. Let me see. Okay. Uh, yeah, they just, the voice of mine just said, don't let the truth get in the way of good radio. Okay. Yeah, it's homologing. If anyone, uh, definitely one more click just to make sure. Yeah, it's homologacy, which is, again, a, a Hebrew can, can mean to celebrate. Whoever celebrates this, and I don't just mean having a, a nice party uh, for it. Um, uh, it, it, it means uh, that one's life is, is an acknowledgement of, 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 of the divinity of Christ. Uh, God remains in him and he and God. We come to know and to trust in the sacrificial love that God has for us. So God is love. 
Now, if I'm right about this, and, well, I think I am, uh, that's a fascinating idea. God is sacrificial love. Let's take out the word love. God is sacrifice. And whoever remains in this sacrificial love remains in God and God. Uh, you know, I, oh, I, I, when I think about this, what, what have I really made sacrifices for in my life? Now, I believe that there are, God gives us two teachers of love. Um, well, maybe three or four. <laughs> he gives many of us a spouse. And, uh, you know, that when, when, when the, uh, the affection wears off a little bit, then you realize you got to put up with him. You got to put up with her. And well, it's worth it. So, uh, I mean, marriage is a, is a real calling and this is, sometimes it's glorious and sometimes it's, well, not so glorious. So I, but I don't, I'm, uh, you know, what did GK Chesterton say again? That marriage is a duel to the death that no honorable man will decline. I'm digressing badly here. I better get back on the track. But this idea of, of, you know, if I think of love as a warm, fuzzy feeling, I love lots of people. But if I think of it as sacrifice, I don't love many people. I really don't. You know, and God gives us these teachers of love. Uh, um, the, 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 the two great teachers of love are the poor and children. Because you're never going to get out of what you're going to put into. I remember people would, would uh, come to work at the soup kitchen. I'll never forget. One dear nun, a rather progressive sister, uh, who brought her confirmation class for the uh, easy-peasy confirmation project that I think is kind of heretical, but I'm not going to go there right now. But um, uh, she stomped up to me because this was during the shun season. I, if I told you about the shun season, confirmation, ordination, uh, first confession, communion celebration, the shun season. And in the shun season, when everybody's trying to get their confirmation pro project done, there just are not enough poor people to go around. And one night, all these, these, these suburban children are milling about looking, looking sullen. And, and there were more volunteers than there were poor people. And, uh, <clears throat> this dear nun stomps up to me and says, Father, my children are not having a good experience of the poor. And I still want to say, sister, I'll tell the poor to shape up. <laughs> we have people who want to volunteer on Christmas, day after Christmas. Nah, they don't want to. Because they want the experience. They want their kids to have the experience. That's not sacrifice. That's not love. That's narcissism. You know, that, that you're never going to get out of the poor what you put into them. You know, the poor are supposed to be, I remember these people would knit mittens for the poor, and the poor would look at these. Li they're living on the street and saying, what the heck are these? They needed something that would endure and keep their hands warm. And people would be very huffy that people were not properly grateful for their largesse. The poor are not happy about being poor, especially not at Christmas. So, you know, the, this idea of uh, you're never going to get out of the poor what you put into it, that's love. Your children, you're never going to get out of them what you put into them. You know, you're the, the, the maid, the chauffeur, the, 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 the breadwinner, the provider, the, the everything. And then they go off to college and they fall in love. And, well, that's, you'll hear from them occasionally, you know, uh, and that's the way it's supposed to be. You're never going to get out of them what you put into them. You're not supposed to. The teachers of love are the ones who, you, who demand more of you than you're going to get out of it. Well, that sounds awful. 
you know, I've had people get very upset with me that, that I've gotten so much out of my children, and that's true, you know, that, that if you cooperate with God's plan, even after they are off and uh, establish their own homes, they, they still can be a blessing. But I still maintain you're never going to get it out of them what you put into them, and you're not supposed to. So uh, uh, um, I, I just, I, oh, there's, oh, I haven't gotten to the gospel. This is one of my favorite, one of my favorite gospels. Um, uh, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. I thought you said in the Bible, I read in the Bible, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, it's the beginning. It's not the end. That if you have a sacrificial love, if you if you have the vision of God for which you want to give everything, you're not afraid of anything. So I, there's a prayer we used to say um, with the Stations of the Cross when I was a kid. It, it was so beautiful. Grant that I may love you always and then do with me what you will. Heaven, hell, doesn't matter to me. I just want to love you, Lord. I want I want to live my life for you. I, I reminded that story. I tell I've told a number of times about the the Orthodox Jew who didn't believe in life after death. Which Orthodox Jews are free to believe that? Um, and someone said, "Well, why do you observe the law so so punctiliously?" And the old the old Jew said, "Because he's worth it. <laughs> because he's worthy. That's this that that I don't fear judgment because I'm going to face someone." whom I've given my life, and what he does will be good. I, I trust in his sacrificial love. All right, I gotta go to the the, the New Testament reading because this New Testament reading really changed the entire way I look at uh, uh, this. Look at look at the, the Gospels. Uh, about the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Um, uh, a buddy of mine, he, uh, Lou Rivero, we worked together in a youth ministry, and, and Lou, uh, Lou said he asked me when, when the when it says in the Gospel of Mark, it's Mark the sixth chapter, he meant to pass by them. Where was he going? And I thought that's a ridiculous. But I, where was he going? And the phrase to pass by if you look at it in the scriptures is a manifestation of divinity moses is placed in the cleft of the rock and god will pass by him elijah's in the cave and god passes by him uh, uh job says were you to pass by me i wouldn't know you so this idea of passing by is a manifestation of divinity if you look at the gospel of mark the beginning is the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The high point of it isn't the resurrection. I've heard revisionists uh, say, well, this is the earliest gospel, which I don't think it was. I think, I think the tradition that Matthew was has, is reasonable. But, uh, uh, well, this is the earliest gospel, and they didn't really talk about the resurrection. The resurrection is an add-on, implying that the resurrection was a later invention. Nonsense. Uh, Paul's writings preceded the writing of the Gospels, and he's all about the resurrection. But that said, the high point of the Gospel isn't the resurrection. It's the centurion saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And the whole Gospel of Mark, I believe, is written to prove the divinity of Christ. That it was take that the, the, the common source uh the Q document, if it was a document, or the, the oral tradition, or the combination of the two, a common source, everybody knew what Jesus had said and done. And the gospel authors took from that common fund those things which were important to their theme. We think of them as evangelistic documents. I don't think they were. I think they were theological texts. 
evangelism, the gospel, was preached by word of mouth. St. Paul says, if someone comes to you preaching a different gospel than I preached, have nothing to do with them. The gospel was a personal and a spoken thing. Of course, these are gospels, but as they were intended by their human authors, they were meant to be uh, statements about the nature of Christ. Matthew, he's a fulfillment of prophecy. Mark, he's the son of God. Luke, uh, I suspect, was written as a legal defense of Paul and Jesus for the trial of Jesus. The Gospel of John was written by its human author, I believe, to show that Jesus was the Messiah, not John the Baptist. Um, This is uh, just, you know, I take it with many grains of salt. But, But so many people are disappointed. Well... Why doesn't the gospel give a physical description of Jesus? Or why does it leave out all sorts of stuff? Or why does one gospel not quite look like another gospel or seem to disagree? Because all four of the gospels have a different purpose in the minds of their human author. The minds of the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate author of the gospel, meant them uh, to give us what we needed for salvation. So, all right. Uh, so I, I, I just, you know, the, the little things in the, the text of Scripture that we think we know, that we've read the, oh, I've read the Bible, Read it again. There's all sorts of interesting stuff you might not have noticed the first time. That said, we're going to go to a break. We will come back with letters, and then we will go to a word of the day. Oh, and 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Uh, music for winter. <sighs> All right, let's go to uh, mail. I think that's what we're doing now. Let's see here. I got one. <laughs> I've been listening to you for a long time. Uh, let's see. Um, what? <laughs> no, I don't know if it's a first-time writer. Um, what happened to the Gummy Bear song? <laughs> so, uh, um well, the songs come and go. I, I think I was getting entirely too many gummy bear songs when we played the gummy bear song. I'm trying to lose weight. I mean, really, how many gummy bears? Somebody once sent me a five-pound... Oh, I shouldn't even say this. I, I, I Somebody sent me a five-pound gummy bear. I, I think I still have some of it. So, um, But more importantly, um, uh, this is a woman who is the only one in her family who's practicing the, the faith. And her youngest daughter's left the family and the state. They have no idea where she is. And I, I just wanted to let her know that I will be praying for you and, and realize that, um, you know, that, that, you know, I just don't know what to say about those things. But you got to realize that, that in a way, you're being asked to live the life of the Blessed Mother who lost her son and, um, you know, everybody talks about the Immaculate Conception. Boy, that'd be great to be immaculately conceived and not have this tendency to sin. And she was Our Lady of Sorrows. The sword pierced her heart. 
And, um, you know, when we're in those impossible situations, um, and it just, this has got to be the most heartbreaking situation when one is alienated from one's own child. I can think of nothing more awful. Um, very few things more awful, but to go on with life, I think it's a very useful thing that we read Philippians, the fourth chapter. And we see where St. Paul says, make your petitions known to God with thanksgiving. When I am really in a bad way, I go and sit in front of the Lord and I will make an actual physical list of four or five things for which I am grateful. You know, I can think about my parents are gone. I, I, I miss them very much. But even death can't take away the fact that I had parents who loved me. Well, I didn't have parents who loved me. Do you have anybody who loved you? Thank God for that. Did you did did you la ever laugh? Thank God for that. Um, that well, I've got all these bad things. I'm not saying you don't, and I'm not saying you don't pay attention to them. But before you you uh, jump into the the ravine of despair, think of four or five things for which you can say thank you to the Lord and do that, and then tell him all the stuff that's wrong. When we go to prayer, mostly what we're doing is telling God what he's doing wrong. You didn't do this for me. You didn't do that for me. I need this. I want this. Amen. No, that's not that's not the way to do it, to say, Lord, um, I got some problems, but first I want to thank you. You heard this prayer and answered, and thank you. Uh, that that uh, bill I thought I couldn't pay, well, it worked out. Thank you. That Whatever it is, just find four or five things to say thank you to the Lord for. You know, that, that, well, I'm so miserable. Well, yeah, okay, fine. But if you start thanking God for things, offering life as a thanksgiving, which, of course, is what you, Eucharist means in Greek, um, it, it really can change. You know, well, I, I can't help it. I can't. Yes, you can. I'm depressed. I'm clinically depressed. Okay, well, hope you're seeing a doctor and taking your medication. You can still do this as a, as a, an exercise. You know, we think we, we have to live out our emotions. We don't. We can do things that are contrary to our emotional state. If I'm depressed, I can still say thank you to the Lord for something. Maybe through gritted teeth, but I'll say thank you. When I'm angry, I can take it. I, I tell you this all the time. I just get angry. How, I can't help it. Yes, you can. Take a deep breath when you notice yourself getting angry. And as you let it out, say, Jesus, I trust in you. It will really calm you down and make a habit of it. But that, that, that um, despair, that attitude of despair, that, that, that my life has no hope. Well, you fight it with thanksgiving and you may not feel it. You may not feel it right away. You may not feel it for a long time. But to obey God and to offer our prayers with thanksgiving is a powerful, powerful thing. So I will be praying for you. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, the most you can do is trust in the Lord, as you say in your letter. All right. I hope that works for you. Okay. Uh, go to another letter. Let's see here. I want to do this one. Let's see here. Okay. This is kind of, uh, um, I have to be anonymous on this, but uh, my wife and I want to be able to give a book or some kind of material to parents of 
uh, a girl. Uh, I, I think that they left something out, but I think it is someone who is um, either married to or going to be married to one of their ch- to her son. Um, uh, my wife and I want to be able to give a book or some kind of material to her parents that can explain the importance of Mass and the sacraments. They're both Catholic. Her mom grew up in a Protestant church. They will go to Mass with us when we visit. And they go to Mass sometimes on their own, from what they tell us. They're lukewarm. Her dad had issues with the clergy, um, and her mom is focused on the on music and preaching ability of the priest more than the reality and sacrifice of the Mass. We do our best to witness and explain, but we feel they could benefit from hearing or reading it from someone else. I think that the one of the finest books written uh, on the Mass, there's so many wonderful books written on the Mass, but I just love Dr. Scott Hahn's uh, uh, The Supper of the Lamb. It's it's about the book of Revelation, The Lamb's Supper, not The Supper of the Lamb, um, uh, The Lamb's Supper. It's... Um, it's a book written on uh, the book of Revelation, but he's he's uh, making the point that the book of Revelation, excuse me, is about uh, um, uh, it's about uh, the heavenly liturgy, and when we go to mass, we're already in heaven. That's a good book, but I would I would uh, have them look at. Uh, let me see. I'm looking it up. I think it's called The Veil Removed. Um, I'm look, I just want to make sure that because you can get into trouble on, on, on the web looking for stuff. Yeah, it's called the. if you go to the web and do The Veil Removed film, <clears throat> it's breathtakingly beautiful and very simple. It's about a simple little mass with just 20 people at it. And The Veil Removed slash film. If you go to YouTube, you'll find it. And I think that might be a help. So, and just your good example uh, and your 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 devotion to them. Uh, those are good things. Well, all right, we're going to go to a break. We're going to come back with a word of the day, and then we're going to take phone calls. I've left a little extra time for phone calls, so do call in. Don't wait till the last minute. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Don't let me hang in there. Well, I come from Alabama With my banjo on my knee And I'm bound for Louisiana My own true love for the sea I said, oh, peace train sounding louder Ride on the peace train Well, all you fellow holy rollers, here we are. Uh, at any rate, let us go to the word of the day. And the word of the day is, oh, the phone, the word, no, no, the word of the day isn't phone number. Yeah, okay, we got a lot of lines open, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. But the word of the day is amen. I got a letter from someone who, if I can find the letter, um, this was, um, let me see, uh, letter, letter, letter. Uh, this was from um, Lisa. Why does Jesus say amen, amen, before he says something profound? We say amen after something profound is said. 
Does the word have one more than one meaning? Maybe listen up? No, no. Or thank you for listening? No, no. No. Uh, amen is a Hebrew word that means it is, you can believe it. I be, it, it it's, this is the truth. Emeth is truth in Hebrew and uh, amen is, uh, you can count on this. That's what, that's what it means. This is dependable. This is true. And Hebrew is a funny language because it doesn't really have comparatives and superlatives. Uh, you repeat things, uh, like me'od me'od means very much. Uh, um, uh, in fact, is actually the word for, if I remember properly, the word for left is right, 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 or it might be the word for right is left, left, left. <laughs> you know, that, that they don't have the comparative and superlative, uh, endings that we do in Indo-European languages. It's Semitic language. So you repeat things. Uh, to to make them superlative. Amen, amen. You can really trust this. This is the truth, I'm telling you. That's what, what it means. And when we say amen at the end of a prayer or at the end of something, we are assenting to the truth of it. That's why when uh, we're asked the question, or is the statement is made, the body of Christ, we say amen, it's true. So that's what you're saying. It's true. I, I'm counting on it. That's what it means. Let me, let me look up, just making sure that I'm not making this up. All right. It means uh, to be firm or confirm, to be reliable or dependable, to be faithful, to have faith, to believe. That's it means all those things. This is this is true. I'm trusting it. So there you go. Next time you say amen, you're you're saying something important. All right. Let's go to phone calls. This is smart. Maxwell smart. I wish I were smart, but I'm not so sure. Kevin, what can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Here we go. Oh, thank um, you. Well, what can I do for you? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question, uh, so my fiancé and I, we're doing, the, we're doing our Bible in a year study, and we're right here at Genesis, uh -huh. and we get up to Genesis 2, verse 17, and then mm -hmm. it talks about uh, the Lord saying, the day uh, you eat of it, you shall die. Die mm -hmm. is the word I'm asking about. Then chapter 3 Verse 3, Eve's quoting God, and, and she's basically saying, shall not eat lest you die. Well, she says, don't even touch it, but we'll, we'll come back to that. But lest you die okay. again. And right away the serpent says, you shall not die. Is there another interpretation for the word die? Because, well, they, they didn't die. So, you know, but it's a lie, but they didn't die. So can you... Can you well, you can hear me clicking away. I'm pulling up the text. Genesis 2.17. Um, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay. Now, one can look at this a number of ways. Uh, the word is day. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That one way of looking at it was that they did die spiritually. They were alienated from God. You know, one of the one of the most interesting verses in Scripture, uh, to me, is when God says they, and he, he's he's consulting with folks apparently, and we Christians would look at it as he's talking about uh, um, the Holy Trinity. That would be in. Uh, let me pull it up. I think that's in the Genesis um, three. Okay, let's see here. Well, the the this the serpent says you will not die, and well, they did die. They died in a way that was more significant. To me, very interesting is then that 
Um, the the Lord says they have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and let us cast them out of the garden, lest they touch the tree of life and live forever. This all sounds very contradictory because I thought they were dead. Well, there are different levels of life. You know, there's a, there's spiritual life and there's physical life, uh, and I think that the text is recognizing that. But why would God? That seems kind of mean that he's going to kill them because they ate. Well, they were in a state of alienation from God. And to live eternally in a state of alienation from God, that's what that's what hell is. So he kind of put them out of their misery until the day of judgment, until they could uh, reconsider. You know, I think Adam and Eve, um, uh, I don't automatically put them in hell, but uh, they they died physically uh, lest they live in hell uh, eternally. Does that make any sense to you? Yes, 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 it does. I, I was kind of, just just one more note, that, so so the Lord, before he makes Eve, he tells Adam, don't eat it, right? And then later, Eve is, is telling the serpent, um, you know, God said, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit uh, in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. So you ever wonder, like, is that, did, did she get that word from Adam? Did Adam's, you know, God told Adam, don't eat it. You know, he didn't say don't well, touch it, he said don't eat it. it then he, and then Eve says, he says don't even touch it. You think maybe, like Adam said, you know, not, don't eat it. Like, don't even touch it. And maybe Well, that might, that might that have way. been, uh, again, I wasn't there. Or, remember, Eve was, Eve and Adam were one being, uh, she was his rib, <laughs> so maybe maybe it has to do with that. But um, I would imagine that uh, God may have told her separately, or Adam may have informed her as a good husband. Um, you know that 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 the scriptures don't fill in all the details. What's in the scriptures exists for our salvation, not not for our historical or scientific curiosity. And and that's real hard to do because I want to know exactly what happened. I want to see it the way it happened. And we never get that from the scriptures. At least there's so much left out. And that's in the plan of God because we're supposed to trust him. And uh, that's hard to do. You know, I'd, I'd rather have the exact thing laid out. And instead of saying, Lord, um, I don't want to wait for you to fill in the details. <laughs> so people always talk about uh, uh, the Blessed Mother and this doctrine or that teaching and i know what the church teaches and i believe it but whenever anybody gets in a snit with me about one of those things uh, the big one is whether the, the, the brothers and sisters of joseph were children of mary we believe they were not um i'll say well i don't know this is what i believe and this is why i believe it but let's go we'll visit her on the day after the resurrection god willing we both make it and we'll ask her <laughs> and they get really upset by that because you want to know now and 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 that doesn't always happen so i don't know if that helps at all it does. It does. Thank you so much, Father Simon. All right. God bless. And I'm honored you listen. I really am. Thanks so much for your, your patience with me and, and my gaffes on the computer. God bless you and have a good new year. All right. Whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Adriana from Orange County. Are you with us, Adriana? Yes, Father. I'm here. Thank you so good. much for what taking can... my call, Father. Happy to do so. What can I do for you? So, Father, usually I, I don't listen. Um, uh, uh, I, I do sometime during this time, but today when I 
turn on the radio, listen to you. The first thing I heard you said was, I'm sorry, I try not to cry. The first That's thing right. I heard you say was, God is love. And you were talking about marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Father. It's just because... It's all right. Just two, two nights... Two nights ago, my husband of 17 years, he wants a divorce. So, oh Father, my. My, my, my question is, how, how can I still have faith in God, and what should I do to strengthen and have complete, um, complete trust in God that he will have? You know, he has a, a, a good, a better plan for me, or completely trusting his plan. Well, I don't think that your husband of 17 years divorcing you is God's plan. Um, you know, God God can, you know, we always say that, that uh, oh, this must be the will of God. No, I don't believe that at all. You know, uh, God has a plan B, but the amazing thing about God is that we can we can tie God's hands. I mean, think of Christ being nailed to the cross, that that the hand that set the stars to spinning uh, couldn't lift itself to swipe the flies from his face. That That's the amazing thing about the Christian faith. He has a hum, We have a humble God, and he can take these things that are awful and work them out for the good. All things work for the good to those who love God. But, but no, I cannot believe that, that the divorce... You know, of of uh, the rabbi said the very stones of the altar weep when, when a man divorces the wife of his of his youth. Uh, divorce is a bad thing, um, and I would I would say I would I would just say to him, "You want to divorce me? I will fight it." Now, do you have children? No, father, uh, we don't have any children. Well, actually, my husband he has. I have a stepson, but he's twenty eight years old because he mm-hmm. married before. This is his yeah. second marriage, and this is my first marriage, and I don't have any children mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all I can tell you is that that um, that that um, Jesus on the cross entered into our suffering, and He didn't cancel out our suffering. He entered into it, and um, that that. Um, I think one of the most profound prayers ever taught us was taught us by St. Faustina, Jesus, I trust in you. But if somebody tells you, well, this is God's will, don't be ridiculous. Uh, this is not. Um, and you say, Lord, uh, I'm giving the situation to you, and uh, Jesus, I trust in you. And whenever you're overcome by the grief of it, take the deep breath and say, Jesus, I trust in you. And personally, I would do all I could to fight it, though in this day and age it's almost impossible to fight divorce, to fight against divorce. But it's not. this is not God's will. Let me say a little prayer for you. Lord, I ask you to bless my sister and, and her husband and to to help him to reconsider the truth of what he's doing, that he's breaking a promise to this woman and to God. May Almighty God bless and heal you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will be praying for you, but the best advice I can give you is is uh, stick close to that prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. Um, and don't let anybody tell you that, no, no, this is, this is from the Lord. I don't believe it is. We pray, we'll be praying for you, all right? God bless you. Oh, boy, that's that's a hard one. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? 
Steve from Nina, Wisconsin. Oh, Steve. Right, I'm on the phone. Can I, there you are. What can I do uh, for I, you? I, I almost feel bad after the previous call. This is such a trivial yeah. question. But in the church bulletin last week, it said the epiphany of the Lord. And my wife and I were talking about what epiphany means. And I mm-hmm. came to the, in my mind, it was the epiphany would be more of the wise men. They're the ones that were, had the, the revelation. Whose epiphany is it, is my question. Well, the word epiphany in Greek means super-duper appearance. <laughs> that P-H-A-N uh, root, uh, that means a manifestation. And epi means it's the same thing as, uh, as it means a pawn, literally. Uh, so it's, it's a, um, we've always, I've always been taught it was the, uh, the revelation of Christ to the nations because they were not Jewish and they came from the East. The Magi were kind of a, 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 a they were a combination between think tank intellectual group and, uh, and international spy consortium. Everybody who could had a Magi on their staff, I believe, uh, if they could when they were a king, because the Magi knew what was going on everywhere. And uh, so this was a, this was a, a manifestation, a supreme manifestation of God to the nations. That's sort of the traditional thing. But I think you're right that that it would have been an epiphany for them um, uh, in the sense that we use the word like I've had an epiphany that, uh, you know, this, this is the interesting thing to me that that um, if, you know, we always have the picture of of the Magi following the star through the desert. Well, they seem to have followed it from Herod's palace to Bethlehem. Uh, in the text, but uh, they said we have seen its his star at its rising, and uh, that's an astrological term. And astrology was part of the science of the time, so God spoke to them through this this flawed science of astrology, in which we do not believe. But God can use anything, so He spoke to them through their their stargazing, and uh, there was uh, the expectation at the time of a Messiah. And they saw the star, his star, it's rising. There might have been, it might have been a, a configuration of, of Jupiter in Pisces, which was the sign of the Jews. Everybody expected a Messiah from among the Jews. And so when they saw this, this astrological configuration, they knew where to go. They went to the palace in Jerusalem. And there they saw Herod, who looked like a king, but they were able to, to discern that he was no king. He was a political thug who'd been appointed by the Romans. But then they went to this poor dwelling, be it the cave or the house, who knows, uh, in Bethlehem, and there they, they perceived a king. So I think your insight is, is a good one, that it was an epiphany for them personally, and it was a symbolic epiphany to the world, that the, the kingship and royalness of, of, of God wasn't found in Herod's palace. It was found in, in the stable of Bethlehem. So there, how's that? does that help? Well, you did more on the word epiphany than I could have after church on Sunday between my wife and I. So thank well, you there very you much. Go. And, and remember my motto, what I don't know, I can always make up. But thanks for calling in. Thanks for listening. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Matt from Pennsylvania. What can I do for you, Matt? Yes, hi, Father Simon. I was just curious. I, I am happily married, um, but I have, my wife and I had a, had a question. If uh, if a circumstance existed for a grounds for annulment, but it was never pursued yes. or never known about, would that marriage be valid? Yes, it would be. 
It would be. It would be valid. Uh, it's what we would call putatively valid. It's it's uh, assumed to be valid. We always assumed marriages are valid. Uh, um, it's the defense we call it. We used to have someone who's called the defender of the bond. That 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 the bond of marriage is assumed to be valid. And if there was a circumstance that could have invalidated it, it didn't necessarily invalidate it. Uh, um, there are only a few things that, that um, conclusively invalidate a marriage, such as marrying a close relative, that kind of thing. Um, that, that uh, you know, marrying a, a, a sibling, <laughs> that would be invalid. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, the, the covenant of marriage is based on a contract of three things. I intend to live faithful to my spouse, permanently with my spouse, and I will be open to the possibility of children. That if my spouse, I give my spouse the right to have children, even if we've decided not to have children for a legitimate reason and are not going to practice artificial birth control, something like that, and one of the partners changes their mind, says, no, I do want children. I've given that, that partner the right to have children. So those are the three contractual elements of the covenant. Covenants have contracts built into them. A difference between a covenant and a contract is a covenant is a contract that lasts for life. Now, if the person intended those three things on the day of their wedding and there was no other circumstance, uh, such as this is secretly my sister, my father, I actually had a, a wedding that was kind of like that. They, were, they didn't know they were cousins. Uh, and it turned out that we could get the dispensation because uh, the state, it was very complicated. We got the dispensation. Their marriage was valid. But, um, uh, you know, there are things that happen that you don't know. It would have to be something of that magnitude. So does does this help? It does. It does. It's just my wife and I were talking like a divorce is we're choosing to end this. The annulment process is did this ever happen? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that that, and I I think they're I think that's very real. I've met people who've been married for twenty five years and they're clearly not married. There was no spiritual bond. Then you meet people who uh, they've been married four or five times, but when they have to make a decision, they call their wife, meaning the first one. So yeah, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think divorce and annulment are real things. Divorce says we were married, now we're not. Annulment says we were never married in the first place. So good insight. So I hope that is is enlightening because well. I, the voice in my head's how many how many seconds we got left? None. We got sixty. Any other questions? Well, you got me on the line here. <laughs> no, I, thank you. But I, I very much enjoy your show. I I, I well, save my lunch break till two o'clock so I can listen to it. Oh dear! <laughs> don't faint from hunger. It's in no. the Bible. Yeah, my producer just said he does too, but I don't think it's voluntary <laughs> on his part. Oh well. Well, God bless you. It's it's wonderful to to know that I'm honored that you listen and uh, give your wife a big kiss for me. All right. God bless you. you and right. speaking of enlightenment, Drew is coming up, and he never makes anything up. I don't think. 